comes to us from the second chapter of the Gospel of John, verses 13 through 22. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of God for the people of God. Will you pray with me and for me? Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It was just a typical crisp fall day for a typical family in 1982. There really was nothing out of the ordinary. The eldest child was looking forward to making plans for life beyond high school. The youngest was on the cusp of becoming a teenager with all the promise that came with that milestone. And the middle child? Well, she had just entered into that exciting and awkward time known as freshman year. This typical afternoon found mom making the 15-mile trip to round up her girls from their various activities before heading home for a family dinner and a late night of homework. As she got in the car, the middle daughter piped up, Mom, I ran into the wall at volleyball practice tonight, and my knee really hurts. Again, a typical statement. There was nothing unusual in it, and high school athletes rarely make it through the season without, any, without some sort of injury. This seemed like it would be just another one of those typical things, a bruise that would sideline a budding athlete for a couple of days. Yes, it was a typical day until it wasn't. The few days of healing for this seemingly minor injury turned into several weeks. The bruised knee refused to heal. If anything, the pain was worse later. 
than it was in the initial stages of the injury. It thrust the middle child into several rounds of medical tests. And finally came an answer. This couple, the typical parents of a typical family, heard the doctor say, your child has cancer. With these four words, this family, my family, knew that this diagnosis changed everything and nothing would ever be typical again. This changes everything. I heard this phrase uttered by my parents when my sister was given this devastating diagnosis. And I heard them say it again later when she lost her battle with the disease. But I have also heard it from the strongest of men as they looked upon the face of their newborn babies. And I have heard it from what would now be called techno-geeks as they spent an entire paycheck on a simple four-function calculator. This changes everything. The thought often accompanies the biggest of life changes and the most powerful of emotions. It doesn't even really matter what the changes or emotions are. Just the mere thought means that something major is happening in life. And life, as we know it, will be different from this point forward. The story of Jesus cleansing the temple, which we encounter every year at this time of Lent in the lectionary readings, is one of those moments that leads us to say this changes everything. It is an odd story because it's such an antithesis of the meek and mild Jesus that we normally encounter in the Gospels. Certainly in John's account, we seem to get a story of a lunatic leader taking a whip and driving everything out of the temple. The differences between John's account of the cleansing of the temple and the accounts in the other Gospels seem to give a certain amount of credibility to this interpretation of a lunatic leader. You see, in the accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus accused the money changers of turning the temple into a den of robbers, giving him justification for driving out the money changers. However, John simply has Jesus chastising the money changers for turning the temple into a marketplace or a house of trade. There is a world of difference between these two terms. You see, den of robbers indicates that the money changers were a group of dishonest traders out to defraud the poor. On the other hand, a marketplace was a necessary part of the temple tradition. The law required Jewish people to make animal sacrifices and offerings during the religious festivals. These were a means of ritual cleansing, atonement for sin, and drawing near to God. 
in order for devout Jews to make these obligatory sacrifices. Unblemished animals, doves for the poor, and cattle and sheep for the wealthy were purchased and certified as clean at the temple gates. Yet the imperial royal, the imperial Roman coinage that was used in everyday commerce in the area was not acceptable in temple transactions simply because it contained images of a Caesar who claimed to be God. As such, the temple had to have a place where Roman money could be exchanged for local temple currency. And these transactions that happened in this temple marketplace were essential to the way the Jews related to their God. Into this sitting came our lunatic Jesus. And with one act, he didn't do so much as simply cleanse the temple, but he destroyed a whole way of life. It was a seemingly crazy act for a man of Jewish lineage. By whipping the money changers and overturning their tables, Jesus managed to dismantle the entire sacrificial system so important to his kinfolk. His demand to take these things out of here and stop making my father's house a marketplace told the people, though, that God was not confined to the Holy of Holies. And he was not available only to those devout Jews who could afford the sacrifice. Rather, Jesus insisted that God's mercy and grace were alive and well in the community. They were alive and well outside of the confines of the building and outside of the confines of pious Judaism. Brothers and sisters, this may have been a crazy act, but it is precisely because of this crazy act that we can worship the way we have become accustomed to. This crazy act was the one that changed everything and proclaimed the news that Jesus was the very presence of God himself. This crazy act allowed for the development of the early Christian church. It allowed Jesus' disciples to take the message of God's presence outside of Jerusalem and into the Gentile world. It paved the way for Paul's extensive travels throughout Europe and Asia, where he planted churches in places like Ephesus and Thessalonica and Rome. And it was this crazy act that meant the good news of Christ's resurrection would eventually make its way to this corner lot in El Paso. Friends, let this be a lesson for us today. We must remember that God does not live in this building that we call St. Luke United Methodist Church. Yes, we can experience his presence here, because like the Jews did with the temple, we have contained the things of God here in this sanctuary. It's where we share communion and baptisms and come to understand God's love and grace. 
It's where we join together to praise and worship the risen Jesus. We come here expecting to find the Holy Spirit, and so we do. This in itself is all well and good. It is vital that we gather here together and come to know God and come to recognize him. It's important for us to meet here together in prayer and praise to hold each other accountable for a life well lived after the example of Christ. Yet if we take Jesus' temple message in John's gospel to heart, we cannot be content to just come to the church building and find Jesus somewhere among our pews. We must start to think of the church not as a place to which we come, but as a place which is sending us out into the world so we can meet and partner with God every day, everywhere. We must rebel against the commonplace notion that God lives in our sanctuary and figure out how to see Jesus in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, and at the gym and in the places where we volunteer volunteer all our time. John's message for us today is that God is not contained in one place. He is present wherever we are. But more importantly, John's message for us is Jesus' message to the world. It's a message of love and grace for all people, but it only gets to them when those of us who have experienced his presence here in this church and have come to realize that this changes everything, intentionally take the Holy Spirit into the world to serve God's children in love. This changes everything. God meets us here in this space, but he does not stay here. He lives in the hearts of his children, wherever they are. This changes everything. Jesus Christ must go with you and with me as we leave this place. This changes everything and that's what allows us to grow with God grow with others and grow in service to the world Amen and Amen